Rasmus Henning is a two-time top 10 Olympic triathlete, multiple World Cup and Ironman winner, and one of Denmark's most successful triathletes of all time. Back in 2010, he joined an elite club of male athletes to complete a sub-eight-hour Ironman and posted one of the fastest ever times at Challenge Roth. He's a full-time Kona vet. He could most recently be seen rolling back the years and tearing up the course at the WTCS Hamburg Age Group Sprint World Championships, winning silver in the 45 to 49 category. He's also the CEO and Performance Director of Triathlon Denmark after recently working with the Danish Olympic Committee. So after all that, Rasmus, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Thanks a lot, Doug. Uh, I'm in Sweden. Uh, actually, we um, we are having um, a couple of weeks of uh, vacation with the family. Uh, we have a summer house here in the southern part of Sweden that we've had all since I was a baby, pretty much. Uh, so we've obviously been here a lot. Um, I've just been away now from here uh, for almost a week with my wife, Anita, and our two youngest kids, William and Esther, uh, a bit further up in Sweden. Uh out along the east coast, uh, went through Kalmar actually, which is a, a, a quite a well-known triathlon spot, and um, and a bit further north from there, uh, uh, had some great days. Stayed on a houseboat uh, for for a few nights, and there was a little uh, a speedboat there. We could go around the archipelago there, and so we had a great time. And now we're back in the house here for for a few more days. So uh, times are good. Lovely. Yeah. Is, is it this time of year, the streets are full of cyclists and people running that perhaps, yeah, during the, the winter months, it obviously is rather harder up there, is it, to, to sort of get out? And how, how has your, had your training been going in the lead up to Hamburg? Is it something that you've just maintained ever since retirement? And obviously that you've done sort of races here and there as well. But uh, yeah, was there a very much like a need for ramping it up going into Hamburg as much for your own personal kind of competitive edge as anything, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's been uh, well now 11 years or so since I retired from pro racing. Uh, and all the time I have been doing some swimming, running you know, and cycling. Uh, and I've always, you know, returned to that. I've been doing, you know, different uh, uh other things i did some ocr racing for a couple of years uh, nothing at a professional level but with with a group of friends and uh, I've, I've been doing a bit of um, master's swimming as well uh, also a few competitions and uh, you know doing doing other bits and pieces but always always return to to triathlon uh, i haven't been training much the, the last at least seven or eight years uh, but uh, but I, I have been doing it a bit all the time, so it's never been that far away for me. And then since I returned to the federation uh, almost a year ago, um, it it just makes makes sense for me to uh, to get more involved, uh, also uh, personally again, not just from a working perspective, but also actually doing it. Um, I you know I've, I was lucky enough to do a couple of um, uh, training camps. Uh, this winter uh, with the national team uh, where we also invited eight troopers to come along. So I could do some training with the eight troopers, some with the elite and, and, and be sort of, you know, the team leader, everything. And uh, it makes sense. I love that role. And I, and I, and I love doing uh, a bit more training. Um, and, and then I have to, to go to a number of races in Denmark and some abroad as well over the summer. And uh, why not participate myself uh, when I'm there anyway so that's sort of been my my uh, my key here it is a little bit tricky sometimes it, it was tricky in Hamburg as well you know dividing that role also being being there for the elites and the juniors that we had racing mm. uh, and then 
also suddenly you know shifting my mindset into to racing myself and then back again but uh, but it works out and i think it's it's worthwhile because i think um, as ex pros we're still important ambassadors for the sport and i my feeling is that the elites actually appreciate the fact that i uh, have been really good in the past but that i'm still also doing it that i haven't grown you know uh, old and fat but i'm still reasonably fit and 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 still enjoying training and can do that with them and i'm pretty sure that as a role model for uh, uh other danish and international age groupers i i hope that they appreciate the fact that i'm still doing it and i'm still really just enjoying it loving the training and 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 enjoying uh, participating in races as well when you made the decision to retire was it family reasons obviously you'd had a very long and, and successful career as well was it did you want to go cold turkey straight after the decision and, and just sort of step right away? Well, it, it, it was definitely the right time for me to retire as a pro because I didn't have the hunger, the urge to uh, to develop, uh, to to improve um, or to, um, you know, even even be out there at the sharp situations where there was a lot at stake. I didn't enjoy it anymore. And, and you know, first and foremost, I didn't enjoy being away from my family. I had uh, our two oldest daughters uh, who are now 16 and 18. They were they were young kids uh, at sort of the last bit of my professional career. And it was hard for me to be away from them. Um, and um, and I, I didn't think it was worth it. I, I, I still enjoyed training, as I was saying before then. And, uh, and I continued doing that a bit. But uh, I must say, I think probably the most unfit I was at any point was you know, three or four months after retiring as a pro, that's it's where, I, where when I hit the rock bottom because I, I I just said to myself from from the day I retired, I only want to do training that I want to do, and mm. in the beginning I really didn't want to do a lot. Uh, but then you know, over the winter it got pretty bad. But then came spring and summer, and and I started enjoying it again. So so yeah. I I started just uh, going out. Uh, doing some training sessions with some friends and uh, and I, I wanted it to be you know training for uh, for the fun of it all the time so as soon as I wasn't having a good time out there I would go home and, and just skip that training or if I didn't want to go out even if I had it planned I didn't go out uh, but um, uh, but then after a while it stabilized and then since then I've been staying relatively fit uh, I've, I've probably been doing an average of say five six seven eight hours a week or something of training throughout the years uh, and um at the moment it's about that level as well i might have a few weeks with above 10 hours now especially over the summer if i get a couple of rides in during a week but but uh but nothing special nothing structured mm. did you care that when when you that first winter where you said you felt sort of more unfit than you ever had did it were you like oh god i don't actually like this feeling very much and and start oh was, was it actually Oh, this is quite nice and able to kind of ease off and please yourself. I like the the feeling of not having to go out and train, uh, but I dislike the feeling of not being fit. Mm. Uh, you know, I gained a few kilos. I I could see it. I remember, you know, looking at myself in the mirror. I could, I could I could virtually see it on my face and my neck, sort of thing. That there was a little extra to it, and I, I just didn't like that. Uh, so so. I, Obviously, that added a little bit to to the desire to to, to stay fit, but uh, but yeah, like I said, I think it was just a reaction to retiring, and then everything stable stabilized after that. Yeah, and what you said about not really enjoying 
or having that same hunger at the end of those races to make that difference that is what you know you need <laughs> you desperately need in those situations was that a gradual thing or was there one race where you perhaps were in that situation and just found yourself easing off and thought oh wow this is this is different this is <laughs> this isn't the usual me or the the younger me well i i think in retrospect that the last couple of seasons that i did it became a little bit m too much uh, say other people deciding what I should do, uh, if that makes sense. That uh, you know, for for sponsor reasons, for media reasons, you know, I I I just I, I needed to do certain races where I would have rather liked to do other races. For instance, uh, doing Challenge Roth in two thousand and ten, which was my like my third last season, was uh, obviously a highlight because I won it, but also because I just. I had I just had a fabulous stay and and I loved it there mm -hmm. and I would have loved to do that you know uh, all that type of races where I just felt uh, you know um, welcome and uh, and just really enjoying you know, the whole thing about it uh, uh, I, I think and I mean it's hard to, uh, you know to say but I, I um, Kona Ironman never really um, uh, suited me. I, I I didn't like it much there. I didn't like the course. I didn't enjoy being there. Also because, like I said before, the family thing was a, was a big issue for me uh, in that those last uh, years of my career, and uh, and being away for that long, uh, which it required to do well in Kona, just wasn't my thing. So I, I was I was uh, uncomfortable. I was sad already the week leading up to the race because I'd already been away so long, and then come race day, I just didn't have it in me uh mentally more than anything i probably could have you know physically done well if if everything went into place but um uh, so for for me it would have been nice now where with with the world championships in nice uh definitely would have been an advantage for me because just the distance and the time difference to hawaii mm. was uh was a big obstacle for me i think um so so yeah, I think uh, towards the end of, of my career, it was it was a bit too much that. And and looking back, uh, I wish that maybe one or two years before, if I had decided, well, Hawaii is not my thing. I'd rather try and structure my season around doing something else, doing other races that I uh, can put my heart into. Uh, that would have been maybe a factor that could have prolonged my my career. Mm -hmm. And then I, re I remember one point. Uh, during my last season, the, the 2012 season, uh, when I when I realized the sort of the lack of importance that that you know further triathlon success had to me was uh, uh, I won the big race that was in in Abu Dhabi uh, in in March. Uh, there was this long distance race at a kind of an odd distance where we I think we swam 3k, uh, then we biked 200 and and finished off with a 20k run. Uh, and I won that race, uh, uh, you know, bike really well, close to the front, and then I outran everybody for the win. Uh, and 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 finishing there and, and standing there afterwards, I could just feel that. I mean, th this should be a highlight, and, and and it was a great race, but it didn't mean that much to me. I would rather just uh, head on home. Um, and and that that was sort of made it clear to me that that was probably going to be my last season. Uh, and and over the summer there, I, I you know mentally went uh, on retirement. Uh, so so doing my final Kona in in October was just mm. you know because I had to do it. I didn't really didn't want to do it too much. Right. And again, that was I'm sure 
there was a part of you that, that wanted to do it and, and it was like that final test, but there was a lot of sponsor pressure, was there, to, to take that start line as much as anything else? Or Yeah, yeah. I had some contracts that required uh, me going there. And uh, so so there wasn't really anything getting around it. Although, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that they would have rather uh, had, had me being honest about that and maybe we changed something in the contract and I could go and do things that I put my heart into. And, and I think that that's one of the key learnings and maybe something to pass on to, to other athletes younger athletes that, that that make sure to to go where you want to go and um and and not uh, let yourself be pushed into doing things that don't feel right because it's it's never going to be as successful in the in the long run i guess seeing mario mola win the duathlon world title in ibiza is a perfect case in point right he's been sort of having a hard time trying to get back on the on the series sort of you know in those races and then you go and do that and you could just see the, the joy in racing kind of pouring back into him and out of him. Yeah, exactly. And, and also being on, 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 on home turf in Spain and, um, and it, it really makes sense. And um, I think um, also actually what I did the, the first couple of seasons after professional retirement uh, uh, was uh, I, I, st- I still kept on training uh, a bit. And, and, and just because I had so many years of training in the bank, I could still perform reasonably well. But I, I didn't really want to go out and do any, uh, you know, big international races. But I, I did some races in Denmark. And, and I actually returned to doing some short distance draft legal races, uh, which I hadn't done since uh, the 08 uh, Olympics, pretty much. And, uh, uh, you know, I didn't make any money off it. It wasn't because I had to. I just felt it was fun to do it. And, and it was actually a good chance for me to to build the bridge to the next generation of, of young athletes. And it was it was, it was it was quite fun. I talked to um, to Daniel Beckergaard uh, about it uh, a while ago. Daniel, who's who's now, you know, one of the best long distance athletes uh, we have in Denmark and, and in the world, I guess. Uh, and he, 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 he remembered one of those races uh, just when he had started his career and I had finished mine and we were at one of these races and I, uh, he, he I, I, I'm not sure, I think he was a little bit disappointed with his race uh, and, and I came over and I talked to him a little bit about it and that was actually one of the things that sort of lit his fire to to pursue uh, a triathlon career. And, and, um, and I think maybe looking back, uh, that, that factor has been... Uh, a big motivator for me and certainly it has been afterwards uh, if I can make a difference to other people uh, other athletes uh, by inspiring them or helping them motivating them to go out and and and, and make an effort and try and turn make something for themselves uh, then I think that's that makes more sense to me than than actually the per- personal success um, and 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 that's that's also something that um, that is it's nice to know and and something that also adds to the fact that I, I think it's fun to race and 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 keep on staying fit now because it 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 means something for me and to other people. We're talking about now again working towards um, uh, uh, you know having bigger uh, international events in Denmark. I don't think we're going to run for uh, multi sports uh, world championships just yet, but uh, but maybe. Uh, some short distance uh, European Cup, maybe towards the World Cup in a few years' time, uh, if we can get the organisation right. Um, I've been, you know, really cautious about, uh, you know, making sure that if we're going to do that, we we need to make sure that we can make it uh, sustainable. 
both in terms of finances and uh, human resources, because uh, what I what I saw and what I've heard now since I, I came back leading the federation is that uh, doing the event in in Fune in uh, in 2018 uh, was just too draining uh, for for too many people, and I don't want to uh, do that again. So so we have to to make it uh, more sustainable if we're going to do anything like that again. Yeah, I have a fine line is there between the ambition and reality of you know what you want to be what you want to be doing to extend the sport at home put it give, you know create those stages for it and um and yeah what is actually feasible uh, yeah exactly i mean we we all have you know a big drive and we we want to we want to make the, the the sport of triathlon you know great in in the country and and abroad and make it on every every everybody's minds and lips uh, but uh, you also have to be realistic about uh, triathlon. Is is it's it's difficult to organise. Uh, there's so much involved and so much uh, in you know out in the open space, out in the city, and and it uh, it costs a lot of money, and 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 not everybody is necessarily you know playing in your direction the whole time. There, there are going to be authorities and and. Um, and and you know different different people working in other directions, having other focuses than than yours, uh, and 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 that makes it really hard. Uh, so 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 we have to find that fine balance. And a lot of things maybe to come together at the same time. If someone like Alberta Kiar, who is showing all the signs of being someone who can potentially dominate the sport in a few years' time, and and certainly has that that kind of X factor. If, if you can combine it with her kind of on the ascension and, and pulling in some great results, like how do you see her uh, over the ne- over the coming years? And I guess LA 28 is something that she's probably very much aiming towards. Yeah, it's clear that Alberta is the, is our biggest role model now in, in, in short distance and our biggest Olympic hope. And um, she, uh, she has grown up in the city of Fredericia. Uh, which is 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 one of De- Denmark's uh, famous triathlon cities. It's it's quite a, quite a small uh, town. I think there's about maybe fifty thousand people living there. But they they they've um, you know bred and uh, uh, you know a lot of good athletes and hosted a lot of big events there over the years. And 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 that's where we're trying to grow now a short distance race. We have the Nordic uh, Championships there this September uh, and also next year. And then we hope to grow it from there. And also, obviously, the city is is um, is, is very interested in in um, you know making use of the fact that they have a local hero now in in Alberta. There, uh, so as long as she's uh, there and she's racing short distance, uh, then there's uh, uh, there's scope for for growing that race. And just thinking about Hamburg and and your race there um, and how. I guess important it was for you to be you know you were the the sole danish athlete on the on the podium for in the age group races you know it in a in the age group landscape that is perhaps i don't know for how long been been somewhat dominated by the americas or the aussies or the brits then then you know to pin your your flag on there and and to stand up and represent denmark must have been you know it's important in a wider context as well as your own sort of pride at being there I would, I would imagine yeah I, I think I think it's important that 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 all countries um, have representation at the age group uh, championships uh, all over the world and it, it uh, Denmark has always had uh, you know a handful or a few handfuls of people racing obviously when it was uh, in Denmark it, w- it was many more but uh, uh, 
uh, my thought was if now that it was in Hamburg, I was, it's pretty close to Denmark. I was going to be there anyway with the, the elites and the juniors. Then I thought, well, I, I'll give it a go. I'm not sure I would race uh, like last year was in Montreal. I wouldn't have raced there uh, unless I had to go uh, anyway. And I'm not sure that I will be racing every time I'm going. And you know, uh, and it, it fits the schedule. But uh, but but it was it was great to to have the opportunity. And and I think also uh, because I'm now I'm I'm you know I'm physically the person who is entering all the other age group athletes for Denmark to the championships. So just you know. Uh, taking that lead role as well and saying, okay, I, I actually go and race. Well, I'll just well, add my name well. to the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and hopefully that can inspire other Danes to to go out and do those championships. Yeah. And it was a logical one geographically and historically for you, I guess. You got, you know, you very good memories. You were there at the very first one in 2002, won it 2004. Uh, yeah, like, you know, standing on that start line. Um Memories coming flooding back. Did it look very different to those those first ones? How you know the atmosphere was it as busy there back in the in the early days? Yeah, it, it, it was actually very similar to what it was uh, back then. Uh, I think I probably raced there five times. I mean, you probably know that better than I do uh, with the stats, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but but I, I just remember doing the, the swim was pretty much the same except now we started in the water and uh, the elite start from the uh, from the pontoon there and uh, but apart from that we still we still swam uh, under that uh, tunnel on the under the the bridge and I remember that from from back then and and the atmosphere around Hamburg the whole the venue the uh, the expo and all of that uh, it. It might have grown slightly bigger, uh, but but it, it was similar. And I, was, I specifically remember the World Championships there we did in 2007 when Daniel Unger won it. Um, it was, you know, even more crazy with with the crowds and uh, and and yeah, so it was great. It was, and you know, one one of the reasons, uh, another reason that I ended up racing this year was actually talking to Daniel uh, in winter time. We were in uh, in Playitas, uh a resort in in Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands for training camps. I was there with the Danish team. He was there with with his German team, and we we sat and had a long long chat down memory lane one of the evenings over a couple of beers and 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 we talked about you know maybe maybe we should uh, should race. We we were in the same age group and uh, um, and uh, yeah. So I, I got back to him uh, earlier in spring and asking should we really go and do it and uh, and uh, and we ended up saying yeah well let's try and do it. Uh, yeah, and 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 I mean, I I really love the fact that he went and did it uh, without being, uh, you know, as focused as fit as 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 I am at, at this time, um, and and I think I mean all, all the respect for doing that because it's it it I'm not sure that I would be as comfortable racing if I wasn't fit if I didn't feel that I was one of the guys who could fight for the medals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that would be more difficult to me, uh, but uh, but uh, I mean, uh, kudos to to Daniel for doing that. And uh, as he said, when when he was being interviewed right before our start, and he uh, they asked him how uh, how he think he could do, and he said, "Oh, there are probably a hundred guys in my troop that would beat me." And I, I'm not sure what he ended up, but he he, he was he wasn't uh, up uh, in the front. There probably wasn't a hundred guys in front of him, but uh, but he was somewhere there in the middle uh but uh oh, but he, still was having, he was 15 he was 15 yeah, yeah. So he was 
definitely closer to the front. But um, but still, it, it it was great, and and I think it's 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 good to see some of the uh, former profiles being out there uh, racing just for the fun of it, just because we love the sport. Yeah, yeah, I I can imagine it a get together and a decide to race over a few beers and sort of rehashing some of the old, some of the old days. I mean, it was, it was a course where you raced, you know, the likes of Brad Carlefelt and Chris Gemmel and so on, and had some, some good uh, duels. Did it, did yeah. With those memories sort of coming back, was the competitive instinct there as, as there are a few people kind of double taking as they looked at you and uh, yeah. 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 Well, for starters, I'm not sure how many people actually knew then who I was. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think um, that Matt Barnes, who actually beat me, who was who, who had a great race and and outran me by 40 seconds for the 5K, and you know had a very deserved win. Uh, I, I don't think he knew who I was uh, until we talked afterwards, uh, and and a lot of them uh, pr- probably didn't. They they must have started doing triathlon uh, later than than. Uh, or since I retired, uh, but um, I mean, for my own sake, I can say I, I was pretty relaxed about it before. Also, I, you know, we had a few heats for the elites in the morning, and there was only like an hour before my start that I said, "Okay, now I'm going to leave all that and focus on myself and get ready and do a little bit of warm up and and try to get in the zone as much as I could." But as soon as the gun went off, I mean. That, that, that could have been 15 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to get to that first boy, the first person. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I always felt so great. When I was swimming out there after the first 100, 200 meters, I looked to the right. There was nobody there. Looked to the left. There was nobody there. I said, I'm going to make it to the first boy. And, and, uh, and so, so that, that was amazing. Uh, that was uh, worth, worth all of it. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah. So, so what about this... Um discussion out there in the world of uh, of triathlon about yeah pros coming back and racing the age groupers some sort of disgruntled age groupers uh who perhaps feel that <laughs> they shouldn't necessarily be there or that maybe there's a master's race that could perhaps take their place but i mean you know the, the point is that it's it's the um the nice thing of being able to race on the same course as the elites and surely that at the same time yeah you should you should feel grateful that that you can rub shoulders with people that have been at the very top of the sport i would imagine that would be an honor uh i I think i think a lot of people feel it that way and 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 see it as an an, a nice addition to the race that are actually former pros uh that that are racing yeah and i i i don't think i've heard other you know age groupers saying that oh it's not not fair that that we should take part in that but i think maybe if i had come out and and raced uh, age group the year after uh doing professional and you know winning at a professional level maybe that wouldn't be entirely fair but i think you know the world championships for the 45 to 49 uh should be won by the best athletes in that age group no matter what uh, uh past they have and uh uh, I mean, as I see it, the, the people that are really competitive in their age groups, they are either people that have been really good at the sport and done a lot of training previously and now just hold on and, and do some, uh, uh, some, some, some training just to, to keep it up. And then there are the, the other group that might not have been, you know, uh, at, at least not in triathlon, uh, you know, professional or elite athletes, but they are now training a whole lot. Um, and, and, you know, we see a lot of them in Denmark and I have a lot of respect for them. You know, they train 20 or 25 hours a week. 
and then you know put their lives into it and of course they can do really well uh, also uh, if if we went out and did you know long distance you know with uh, on tt bikes uh, i would be beaten by a lot of those i i could be competitive now because this was more a format that that suited what i sort of still have in the tank and and what i can do with the the amount of training that i do now uh, but but i i just think it's it's a really nice uh, uh, addition to the sport that former pros still want to take part and i think it i think it 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 also indicates that that we have been doing it through our professional careers because we actually love the sport because we like to swim bike and run mm-hmm. and we like the atmosphere around the races that's that's why we want to come back and, and mm-hmm. still be part of that whole community um so so i think it's 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 only a good thing and um and and i think if 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 other people think it's it's unfair they 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 should yeah go and train some more and try to beat us next time yeah so stuart hayes was racing the year the category below you as well and michelle dillon as you mentioned earlier um won again didn't she her age group i think yeah she won for the third time i i think i mean i yeah you'd hope it would be a selling point in as much as racing the same course as the elites is right and and the more i don't know is it is it something that has presumably has happened in the past but maybe not with as much regularity or maybe not perhaps it's like a bit of a post covid thing and this was the first i mean montreal obviously last year but was quite far away so or from the european perspective so um this is the first kind of mass post covid total normality european age group uh, event so um yeah maybe it's maybe it is a bit of a taste of things to come and and can be another nice impetus behind the next growth of of age group racing yeah i hope that a lot of our uh, other former colleagues and competitors um you know feel inspired to come out and and do it um obviously probably health issues is 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 another thing that might come in the way uh, i i wouldn't have been able to to do this every uh, year that has been since i retired because i've been you know having problems with my knees and my achilles and but but now um uh, for the for the last few months i have been able to to also run pretty uh, pretty stably uh, but um uh, you know, it might not be the same next year. I might get into some problems. You know, it, it has taken its toll on on my body for sure, being an elite athlete for for that many years, and uh, as as it must have for for most other athletes. And um, uh, so, so I think it's it's just a it's 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 a proof of health. Also, if we uh, if we come out and and race, and uh, and I hope more people will do that. Yeah. Did Alberta Kiar, did she, was she a little disappointed not to presumably not to make that final 10 as she had done in Montreal, hadn't she? That, that Montreal race, was it just the one after her Huatulco win or was the Huatulco win the year before that had sort of, you know, very much established her on the, on the elite scene and, and shown exactly what she's, she's capable of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Alberta, she, uh, yes, he did have a couple of World Cup wins, uh, and and then the fourth place in in Montreal last year, and and she was certainly hoping for 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 being in the final ten. Um, there, there was something going on in, in transition. I think that the bikes had been moved or something, so she made uh, a small mistake in 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 T one. So she she sort of lost the the group going out on the bike, and 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 then it was hard to to catch up or yeah it was impossible to catch up on the bike and, and not even a strong run could put her back in contention so um yeah so she she will hope to to do better next time yeah 
a format that certainly highlights those finer details, isn't it? Um, do, is it you can't, you can't make any mistakes in, in transitions you know, or in any of the details if you want to do well in, in that format. I, I really enjoy that format. Uh, I would have loved to to race that myself uh, back in the days. Uh, I don't know if it would have been to my advantage. I was probably a little bit more of a diesel engine than than a pure sprinter, but uh, but I think the endurance side of it, you know, having to do it repeatedly, would mm -hmm. have um, come into play uh, for me. And uh, I, I definitely enjoy it now as just a triathlon fan and just uh, you know uh, being being there watching it on site or watching it on on TV. Uh, it makes for for great racing. Are there any of those little moments, those little details, maybe something out of a race that are that either you, you know, on reflection, you, you feel you could have gone a bit harder there or there was just a little someone got in your head or. Well, that's, that's actually a bit of a fun story to to my win in Hamburg, uh, which was uh, in 04. So it was it was only, I think, 10 days or so after the Olympics. Uh, and I, I was seventh in Athens. Um so it was, it was a disappointment in in terms of meddling. And I, I won the test event the year before, and I, I knew I, w I was supposed to be good at that course. And and um, but then I ended up just having another six guys that were better than me on the day. So it was so it was a bit of a disappointment, but still it was it was not terrible. Being seventh at the Olympics is by no means terrible. So 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 I I got got into the Hamburg event. Um, a week and a half later, just, uh, you know, saying, oh, I just wanted to, you know, revenge this and, and show that I can can do better than that. So I was really motivated. And then out on the run, I think we were running 10 or 15 guys together. Then uh, actually Brad Carlefeld, uh, I don't know if he remembers, it'd be fun to talk to him about it. But um, uh, at first he, he ran sort of and, 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 and hit my heel uh, out on the run. Um, and uh, I, the first time I didn't react anything to it then but then he did it again a few seconds later and 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 i i just got so annoyed i didn't lose my shoe but i got so annoyed and i just turned around and i i yelled something not so pretty to him <laughs> and, and and that just gave me that adrenaline kick so then, then i went back focused on the road ahead and and with with without even you know deliberately trying to put in a search i just opened up 10 15 meters on the group and a little later, I looked back and said, oh, shit, there's a hole. And and I I, I just kept on running. I said, oh, I've got to try this. And then uh, nobody called back to me. So I, I ended up winning the race. Uh, so um, thank you, Brad, for that. <laughs> Those little, uh, yeah. Well, I guess th th maybe that says something about your um, your competitive mindset, that the thing, when I was I was looking for something that, negative and you, it was, you chose one that made you win. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could probably find a few negative ones. No, no, no. Well, I go negative. Uh, I, I think I would... they've been put somewhere in the in the garbage along the years. <laughs> That's just uh, yeah, sort of interviewer going for a prod and a probe. In terms of um, in terms of those high V races, you know that they were obviously very interesting in the history of the sport, weren't they? You know, the huge prize money on on the line there, and the sort of the the one off race within a race. It was, you know there's an Olympics, there's a world champs, but there's also this high V and was it, was it the first prize 200 grand or was that the total prize pot for no, the, the, the first prize was 200 grand. And then the first year there was the Hummer as well for the winner. Oh, a Hummer. Yeah. yeah. As well as $200,000, you get a Hummer. Was, yeah. And the, the second, the, the second year there was 200,000. And then yeah, there actually, there was a Lexus on the, on the line as well. But, uh, 
And we thought we were going to win that. But then apparently during the race or something, they decided yeah. differently. So I think it, it was one out of the crowds that ended up winning that Lexus. But uh, it, it was Emma Snowsell and I who, who won in, in, in 08, in the, the second year. And then we, we talked about it afterwards. Like, should we do something about this? And then we said, ah, we, be we better just take the 200 grand and, and be happy <laughs> and not, not make a big fuss about it. <laughs> You could take that luxury in that situation, couldn't you? But but uh, you, but of course, High V played played a big role in my uh, in my career, and um, I'm I'm really proud of of that. Particularly the first year uh, when we really put it into uh, you know with a big big planning cross in in, uh, in in the race calendar for 2007. Uh, already a year before when it was announced, I remember my coach and I we we sat down and said. Well, that looks like something that could work really well for me, uh, and uh, uh, so so I yeah, uh, and I and I went out and executed perfectly during that race. Uh, you know, we I, w I was always uh, you know in the front pack uh, after the swim. I was a good swimmer and and always got out there. And then you know races could develop differently. But in, in that race, I was uh, I was really keen on trying to break away out on the bike. Uh, and it was always a matter of finding the right people. And, and eventually I saw Matt, uh, Matt Reed, who was always uh, uh, a really good cyclist and, and also a guy that I could uh, more often than not outrun afterwards. And, and uh, he, he, he looked like he was uh, getting a bit of a gap. And I, I rode up to him and we had an, another couple of guys with us. One of them, Simon Whitfield, actually, you know. Um, and, um, and, and we ended up, uh, I think, gaining uh, what could have been... A, one and a half minutes maybe uh, on on the rest of the pack uh, so we had that gap when we started the run and and you know after the first few k's i dropped everybody including sam whitfield and uh, and then from behind came you know two of the greats bevan doherty and javier gomez and and they they were chasing and they got closer and closer to me and they got to about 30 seconds with with one lap to go uh, and it was uh, it was it was surreal actually i i, I at that point I started thinking about that huge price check because, you know, winning $200,000, it, it was, you know, it potentially life changing. Uh, it was not, you know, the $10,000 or something that was always a great win, but it was, it was so much. And, and I, I started, you know, getting thoughts in my head. What if somebody jumps on the course now and, and tackles me or whatever could happen here, what could go wrong? Could I hold on to this? But I just ran for dear life, and luckily nobody got got in the way. And I I, I think I pretty much held on to that thirty second gap uh, on that last lap. So uh, so Javi and, uh, and Bevan didn't get any closer. And yeah, yeah we celebrate that win. And then then the year after, I, I I went out and I did it again. But then then it was only on the run. So it was a big group of us getting off the bike. You know, including you know Bevan was there again. Greg Bennett. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Peter Robertson, who had won, you know, three world titles the years before, and you know, uh, Ivan Rania, who'd won the world champs. Uh, pretty sure Simon Whitfield was there again, and you know, Hunter Kemper was there with the, you know, the uh, Andy Potts, some of the great Americans, and you know, a lot of people. And 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 I ended up just, uh, you know, running away with two or three k to go. Uh, that was usually my my way of winning those races. I couldn't do it in the last. 100 or 200 meters i had to do it earlier and um uh, i managed to hang on uh, so yeah 
<laughs> yeah. great memories. We'd highly recommend anyone uh, to go on triathlonlivetv.tv and watch those high V races back. They did. I mean, they definitely brought brought the drama, didn't they? It's it's an interesting one. I guess there was was it four years in a row or five that that they happened, um, and it was just to, just to give the context, it was by virtue of uh, a, a, a well, a big sponsor, High V, being a store, the supermarket chain yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, the likes of which hasn't we haven't seen since, right? I mean, it was it it was a success in as much as it brought incredible racing and it brought the best out of the best. Um, yeah. But it was also the product of a multi-millionaire supermarket chain owner who loved triathlon. Right. And that doesn't come around every, <laughs> every no, day. no, it's, 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 again, it's, it's not a sustainable model, you know, for building professional sport. And mm. um, yeah, I definitely hope that, you know, what is going on now in, in in the sport of triathlon is is more sustainable i can i can fear sort of a little bit the same thing with the pto system at the moment uh, i mean it's 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 absolutely absolutely fantastic for the the long distance athletes that are in that now and and they can benefit a lot from this and 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 uh, and hopefully it can grow and develop the sport but but what if it isn't there in 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 five or ten years time then what happens you know so so these fluctuations in the sport is is a little bit dangerous i think but uh but i yeah i i, I hope and pray that that it's going to be uh holding on for for national federations such as yours um will is there always is, is the financial limitation something that is going to be a bit of a always going to be a bit of a, a stumbling block for you realizing your visions for the sport that you that you would want it to where you know where you would want to take it should we say and and how without a high v in denmark or whatever like how do you get around something like that yeah absolutely i mean we we are we are relying as a federation on 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 the support from our uh you know olympic committee um team denmark on the elite side and then from our you know sports confederation which is basically government money uh and 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 it, it's not a lot. It's definitely not enough money for us to uh, to develop uh, the sport uh, on the elite side or on the age group side, on the youth side. We would love to be, be able to do much more, uh, and and we can only do that by you know uh, getting yeah more government funding. But that's not likely to happen, as as it seems. Not not making you know a huge breakthrough anyway, uh, or to get it commercially, which is also pretty pretty uh, difficult uh, at the moment so as it is now we have our long long distance athletes that that are lucky enough to to make uh, a pretty good living for some of them for the best ones and a, and a decent living for the you know, like the second tier athletes whereas for the for the short distance people it's it's hard for them to get to a level where they uh, can get enough from from prize money um in in the in the world series and and the, and the world cups uh, etc um of course you need to be a really good athlete and 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 there's always that should you uh, or when can you say that you deserve to make a living from a sport how good do you need to be and but there is a bit of a uh, of a gap now i think between the long distance and the short distance that um, there are some really good short distance athletes that that struggle to make a living uh, out of sport and and we we unfortunately can't support them well enough as it is now we can't even support like the full olympic uh, preparation uh, cycle for all the athletes that are, that are actually um 
potential uh, Olympic candidates, mm. uh, they, they will have to pay some of that themselves, you know, to, to maybe go to some of the World Cups towards the end of the season to try and improve that Olympic ranking. Uh, where I wish that we had enough money to just say, of course, we we can support you to go here and there, and we can also help you that you can put all your focus into this. Some of them they need to go out and 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 do some 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 work a few hours a week, or yeah. uh, or have uh, parents uh, who can help them out just to be able to to do that uh, Olympic uh, campaign. And I, I don't really think that's fair. I think that would that should be something that we as federation should be able to support, but. Um, uh, as it is now, we 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 just don't have enough funding for it. Yeah, it's easy to forget, I suppose, those added pressures on an athlete, not just to to win, but then you know those results are what funding is dependent on, isn't it? And then you know it's it's a knock on effect for for you, for who might be able to coach you, for what races you might be able to do, for the federation as a whole, for athletes coming through. It's um, yeah, mm. it's always very difficult. Yeah, yeah, we we try not to, you know. <laughs> put too much pressure on our athletes about no, you know that, but, but you're, you're absolutely right we, we do depend on their results also to yeah. to retain or to you know uh, improve the funding that we're getting uh, and obviously also from a commercial side the better the athletes the better the chance we have of, of selling them uh, and, and 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 making some money for the federation uh, but i mean it's they have enough pressure already just from themselves and 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 you know their own uh, sponsors and their their own uh, you know parents or whoever has invested in them uh, along the years. Uh, yeah. So um, so we we don't we shouldn't put more pressure on them. There, there's enough already. Yeah. Well, it's definitely you know it feels like an exciting time for for Danish triathlon. We we can't wait to see Alberta back out there. Will she be in Sunderland this weekend? I can't remember off the top of my head the start yeah. list. She should have. She should have been, but uh, unfortunately, she had a bit of a foot issue uh, coming out of uh, Hamburg, um, and uh, and we decided to let her rest for Sunderland. So she she'll, yeah, she might be going to Europeans in uh, Turkey, um, and then certainly in uh, Paris Testament. Great. Will you be there as well, Paris? I'll be in Paris. Yeah, yeah. We need to. Uh, that that's the performance director hat that I put on there because we need to prepare, you know, as well as we possibly can to, to do well on that course. And uh, then it's important to see it all and, and to prepare for what's coming up next year. Yeah. Crunch some serious numbers, take them away, crunch them again. <laughs> exactly. See what you come up with. Brilliant. Well, I look forward to seeing you out there uh, in person then. And yeah, very best of luck for the for the build up to that. What will be a, a brilliant test event, no doubt. Appreciate the time and the insights. Congratulations again on the silver in Hamburg. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, Doug. It was a pleasure, and I'll see you out there. Great, thanks, Francis.